0: Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Quarantine Call with Shieldless Mag. I'm your co host, Nick Shields, and as always, you'll be hearing myself and Ruben Barrick, co founders of ShieldlessMag.com. And on the line with us today, we are joined by Robert Brink. Rob is probably best known as being the co host of the show Weekend Buzz on the Ride Channel. He's also written for many skateboard magazines and various other publications and most recently started a candle company called The 100th Acre. At the age of 44, Rob was diagnosed with depression, autism, and PTSD. We wanted to get Rob on the show to talk about mental health as the month of May, Mental Health Awareness Month, comes to an end. And we get his perspective on uh, being diagnosed later in life, going public with his diagnosis, Going to therapy, taking medication, um, the acceptance from the skateboard community, how it pertains to suicide prevention, and uh, we tie it in with all, uh, with the uh, underlying theme of skateboarding and uh, a little bit about his candle making in the beginning there. We hope you enjoyed the episode, and if you do, make sure to share it on Instagram and tag us at Mag. follow Rob at Robert Brink this episode is a very sensitive topic and one that we hold dear to our hearts here at Shieldless Bliss Mag. So we really hope you enjoy it and get something out of it. And uh, if you do, make sure to share it with your friends if you think it'll help them. So stay safe. Cheers.
1: Now it's a
2: quarantine call from your buddy's mid Been at that shieldless mag. Oh yeah, oh yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna talk, about talk about skateboarding, talk
1: about toilet paper holding, talk about working from home I'm 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 cold. Cold. and getting hard and combing, and standing in and washing your hands, it's a quarantine call. Welcome back to another episode of Quarantine Call with Shieldless Mag. I'm Nick Shields, co-founder of ShieldlessMag.com. As always, is the uh, other co-founder of ShieldlessMag, Ruben Barrett. What's up, Ruben? How we doing, everybody? Happy Friday. Good to be here. Happy Friday, bud. And uh, also on the line with us today is Robert Brink. He's a journalist, writer, uh, skateboarder, candle maker, talk show host, Wears mini hats. How's it going, Rob? How you doing? Good. How you guys doing? Doing,
3: doing good. Friday man. night. Friday night dates. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you got a candle lit for us over there, the line? I do. I am lighting a candle. I have. Uh, I'm out on my patio. It's uh spruce and cedar burning <laughs> right now. Oh, very it's nice. All the walking. It's called a walk in the woods.
1: Ooh, <laughs> did you make that yourself? Yes. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we didn't. We didn't really call you to talk about candle making, but I was interested in how you got into that.
3: Yeah, I mean, we can talk about whatever we want. <laughs> we do don't worry. Don't
1: worry oh, yeah, about so what you're asking me. We got a uh, weekend buzz. Uh, Dylan Reader, Erica Yari, um, sexuality. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know all these things that have never been covered with you, so uh, don't worry. Yeah, There's plenty of things to cover.
3: <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah. No. The the cool thing about this candle is um certain fragrances are uh, naturally insect repellent. So when I'm outside of my patio, I burn lavender or pine and keeps the bugs away. Shit.
1: Damn! I didn't know that. That's cool. Mhm.
3: I need to get one of those from my FCA. patio. Don't have to use bug spray and shit if you use the right candle. Oh,
1: sick. Where, where do you mm-hmm. live
3: or where are you at
1: right now? Quarantined. I live in Laguna Beach. I'm from New Jersey though. Oh, uh, nice. Man. That's cool. Mm-hmm. We, uh, me and Ruben grew up in San Diego. We've known each other since middle school. Um, Ruben's lived down there now and I'm up in Portland at the moment. I've been up here for a couple right. of years now.
3: Yeah, yeah. always I do road trips every year, and Northwest is an area I haven't really ch- taken on yet. My friend Casper, he works for Nike. His mm-hmm. Instagram page is literally like a tour of every waterfall in the Portland <laughs> type area. Like literally, his his Instagram is going to be my map when I go up there. <laughs> and I've told <laughs> him that. I can't believe how much nice nice shit is up there, like lakes and waterfalls and shit. Yeah, yeah. I was just out on a river
1: today, just, like, chilling. It was dope. Nice. But, I mean, I don't know. You, you, For me, it's like I can only see so many waterfalls to where I'm like, yeah, like, it's cool. Like, they either got to get bigger or, like, wider or something. Like, at some point, I'm like, yeah, that's, that's the waterfall.
3: <laughs> Maybe you need to, like, ride down one in a kayak to <laughs> be reinvigorated. Yeah. So that might be it. Full,
4: feel the sheer force of, uh, of nature's power, you know? Yeah. <laughs> uh,
1: wait, but how did, cause you have this candle company, Hundredth mm-hmm. Acre, how did you mm-hmm. get into m- making candles?
3: Um, it's, I, I guess there was a point, so I've, I've worked mainly in footwear, um, in my skate career. Well, up until, like, 2013, anyway. I worked at D.C., and I worked at Soltech. And it was, like, 2013, and Soltech was, like, shrinking and doing tons of layoffs for years. And I kind of was over it there, and I I had this idea of, like, if I'm unemployed, I'm going to start my own (laughs) company. Like, (laughs) if I lose my job or whatever, you know what I mean? I ended up quitting, but... um, And as someone who was in the marketing department of those big companies, a lot of times I felt like I would present ideas and not be really like heard or taken seriously. Mm -hmm. And so I always had this, as much as I kind of had my own business as far as being a writer all those years, I always kind of wanted to start my own brand and like put myself to the test, like put my money where my mouth is as far as me thinking I had cool ideas or whatever, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, or, like, maybe I did suck, and that's why nobody was listening to me, you know? <laughs> so, so, and at that point, I'm like, you got to understand at this time, it was, like, the rise of the small brands and also the rise of, like, the grip tape and hardware companies, so like, 2014. It was mm-hmm. Like, everyone was starting, like, a grip tape or a hardware company, and then there was all these board brands, and I was like, dude, I don't want to be another... Like, I don't need to add to that pile. Like, uh-huh. there's no value I can bring to that pile. And I thought to myself, well, what am I? I'm a writer, and I like the aesthetic of, you know, the thought of, like, Hemingway sitting at a computer in Paris and at a cafe. I'm not a computer. I say, Holy shit. <laughs> but if <laughs> yeah. if you
4: were alive
5: today, yeah, same same
3: yeah. thing for just,
4: sure. Uh, just,
5: I mean, a
3: MacBook like Air, yeah. probably. just the aesthetic of like old books and libraries and typewriters and and that's kind of part of my personality that that doesn't come through in my skateboarding life so Mm -hmm. I was like and I was buying a ton of candles at the time I was spending so much money on candles (laughs) I was like maybe I should make candles because I can tell a story with each one and it ties into that like writer aesthetic and you know, it was never meant to be just a candle company. Like I always had T-shirts and journals and pens from the beginning, as well, like stationery. The candles are the main thing. Right. Yeah. So I just wanted to present something different to the skateboarding world at the time. Like a lot of different stuff was starting to pop up. Like Happy Hour started doing glasses, and 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 Loud started doing headphones, and Jeff Raleigh started doing knives, and. Chad Tim Tim was doing like leather goods handmade leather goods. And I was like, this is a really good time to like put a non skate product into the skate market. Cause it was like the craft, like hipster era of like mm, craft made yeah. everything. And so I was like, I just want to do something different. I don't need to like paint the skateboard and put my logo on it. Like that's stupid for me. So. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I, and I knew I could make the money back on the candles. So, that's yeah. a little bit of a long-winded explanation. but Are you
1: <laughs> making them by hand, like yourself, with the wax and everything? or?
3: Yeah, I've, I'm the only person that's done anything for four years except um, photography of the product. Um, <laughs> that's amazing. So I've Very made cool. every candle. I've made probably, I'm trying to count how many, um, I can count how many candles I made by knowing how many bags of wicks I've ordered. <laughs> they're like they're like they're like thousand count bags of wicks and i think yeah. i've made something like um 12 or 18,000 candles or like, wow 12 or 16,000 candles or something like that
1: what about wicks wow. wow. candles you know yeah i mean I've some done of those, a hundred of those
5: <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah uh that's amazing but so did you just like I um, want to make uh like you came up with that idea and then you just like Googled, okay, how do I make candles? How do I put them in the thing? How do I like get the supplies? Or did you like previously, like you were a candle maker at a young age or something (laughs)
3: like your dad was a candle maker or something? No, nothing like that. But there is a funny parallel. So I just ordered a candle making kit off Amazon. Uh, And, uh, and it's actually not hard to do, but, um, so I worked in a bagel shop for nine years. I made bagels um during college and grad school to, like, pay for school. I worked overnights. Um, and making candles is a lot like baking. Um, there's a lot of, you know, specific measurements and weights and temperatures and timing. It's not mm-hmm. complicated. Like, it's not hard. Like, uh, you know, maybe, like, learning to play classical music or something. But you have to pay <laughs> attention to time and... And baking is the same way, like yeast, you know, the amount of yeast that you put in a dough and the temperature of the room and the temperature of the oven, and there's all these different factors. You know, you're spinning a lot of plates at once to just get, like, a good bagel made, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's the same thing with candles. So once I started making them, I was like, holy shit, this is so similar to making, like, bagel doughs. And And, uh, then I started making my candles overnight at night. Because it reminded me of when I was younger, like working overnight at the bagel shops. <laughs> so it was like this, this full circle, like fight club. Like, you know, we make soap at night. I make bagels right. make candles at night. And it was like a cool <laughs> little throwback to my late teens and early 20s. And I still do that now. I, I go to the my candle studio. I have a separate studio in Laguna where I make the candles. And I'll go yeah. in there at like Big 11 time. at night. Yeah, I work till like 4 or 5 in the morning. Wow, do you have like a
1: everything bagel candle just to remind you of no. that
3: <laughs> I don't really like <laughs> candles that are like food. <laughs> you know, uh, I think they're kind of cheesy, but no. <laughs> but, right, man. yeah, that's what I do eat. I do get a toasted everything bagel with uh veggie cream cheese when I when I order one. Nice. Oh yeah. So, I was I gonna I ask. Like, guys, um, <laughs> So. Where
1: where did the oh that's
3: okay.
4: Um I was gonna ask where did
3: the name hundredth acre come from? Um, it came from Winnie the Pooh. Oh, okay. It's a miracle I got the it's a miracle I got the copyright. So like my favorite thing is like forests. I love forests. So um and I knew that there would be this heavy like forest type theme to the brand, like wood you know the labels are made of wood and a lot of the scents are forest related and when i was a kid i used to hang out in the woods behind my grandparents house in south jersey and just like explore all day long and that was kind of the inspiration for the brand and then i was thinking of like famous forests and things and when i thought of the hundred acre wood from winnie the pooh which was like that's where all the, that's where Christopher Robin and all his friends had all their childhood adventures. And you know what I mean? Like it's this land of like imagination and you have that childlike wonder to it. And I was like, man, like that's pretty sick. Like, and the hundredth acre is kind of like the end of it, like the border, you know, like, do you stay in there and be a child or do you leave into reality? You know? So, um, yeah. I just I just tried it. I was like, let me tweak the name a little bit and see what happens. And by some miracle, I got the trademark for the 100th Acre. I guess it's different enough than the 100 Acre Wood. But the literature tie-in as well, like me being a writer, classic literature being a theme of the brand, the literature tie-in of the 100th Acres and Winnie the Pooh is perfect, you know? Yeah, that's genius. uh, skills to work yeah I guess so if you look (laughs) too there's like you could google maps of the you could google the hundred acre wood and there's this really cool animated map by the guy who drew Winnie the Pooh and you'll see there's like pine trees and stuff and that's where the idea of the pine tree came from like there was one pine trees in the hundredth acre wood and I grew up playing in the pine forest in New Jersey so
1: That's why the the logo is like a pine tree. Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah, that's that is your. That's funny that you talk about like everybody starting a hardware company and stuff because it's true. So, and uh, one one of our whole like uh things about our our magazine is like focus on skateboarders who do cool stuff outside of skateboarding, and like that's interesting to us that like so many skaters are so creative. Like even, even if they do want to go start a board brand, like that's wild to me. I'm like, why would you want to start a board brand? There's so many of them like, but to hear people's thought process behind that is like super interesting. And just the fact yeah. that skaters are into all these different things, like is is so cool. That's like part of the reason we started doing this whole thing.
3: Yeah. yeah. I'm a believer that if, if you're not going to, like if you're not going to add something new to the pile, you know, like maybe you don't need to do that thing. You can do something else. Like I look at someone like process, right? Like it's like he can't stop creating things. It's crazy, you know, <laughs> like polar and the shoe company. And like, I was thinking about him the other day. I was just like looking at pictures from his new shoe brand. And I'm like, this is a dude who's like adds new stuff to the pile, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. Like, Polar's different. It resonated. They did shaped boards, you know, they did different kinds of videos that were like artsy films. And now he's doing shoes. And I'm like, I mean, I, it's not like I'm this huge Polar fan or anything, but I, I admire Pontus for that. Yeah. Doing it his yeah. way and you know, building spots and like everything. He just has to be creating. And I love that. And that's yeah. the one within skateboarding that I think is, you know, you're not just stenciling grip tape or whatever. You're, He's like building, he's like putting so much creative into skateboarding, you know, and his brands. And I think that's awesome. Yeah.
1: Polar. Go
4: ahead, Uh I was just going to say, I mean, he's giving back to skateboarding on all fronts and it's, it's rad to have an individual like that in our midst. What
1: um, are you going to say Nick? uh like polar i they they're like one of the newer like hot brands to me is that like are not so broy, but still like artsy and cool like they're not like palace and fa where it's like we're too cool it's just like hey, like office is over like we're having fun and we're doing cool little graphics and stuff but we're not trying to be like the hot shit street, streetwear
3: brand. Yeah, they definitely don't have that like cool high veneer that some of the other guys, you know, other yeah, brands
1: have. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, though.
3: Yeah, and I'm actually like a huge fan of FA and everything because I, to me, what FA did a couple years back when they all left Alien and everything, like to me, FA and Hockey is like the modern day parallel to what Rocco did, you know, with World Blind and 101, like. It disrupted the whole industry. It took all the riders, crazy mm-hmm. graphics, like. So I actually really love FA for that reason. Like it was very disruptive, and I love the creative that comes out of them with like Benny or or William Sherbeck stuff, and I don't know, it's 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 awesome. But but I do get what you're saying sometimes. It's, yeah. I'm not I'm not that cool, and sometimes I don't <laughs> feel cool enough. For yeah, like, exactly. <laughs> palace or something like some same kind or of Yeah, I I feel the same
1: way. Like, oh, um, am I even cool enough to be riding this board? Like, uh, maybe I should uh, go back to uh, whatever it is, cricket <laughs> or something.
3: But uh, yeah, but honestly, I, like when I see like an FA or hockey thing or a Strobeck or a Benny Magalhaes thing, like those those are things that I push play on immediately. Like Mm -hmm. there's some things I'm like, all right, I got to go back and watch this, whatever part later when I get time. But when I wake up and see something from those brands or those guys on Instagram or whatever, I'm Mm -hmm. like, all right, I got to go watch this. I got to go watch this Donovan Piscopo commercial or whatever. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I got to watch this Caleb part. Like it's one of the only things I immediately have to go watch because it just resonates. Those brands just resonate with me really hard um, the way they are. Yeah. And going back to like how Pontus inspires
1: you when I've been going back and listening to like just old podcasts of like random people that um, I can find. And uh, I listened to a bunch of podcasts with Ed Templeton and he's mm-hmm. like, I mean, he's always, I know who he is forever, but like, him as an artist like really inspires me because he fucking does takes photos puts out photo books and zines still and paints and does Mm -hmm. like every toy machine graphic on every board for like every like the idea of like him and gonz like doing every single board graphic for their companies like blows my mind like to come up with a new drawing like
3: that yeah they, they, they can't, can't people stop yeah. themselves from creating it can not you know it's like us eating or something, <laughs> like, but I think about that all the time too, like I look back at you know if you look in like the mid to late eighties, uh everybody's grip tape was drawn on mm-hmm. like I mean mainly now we see like notus or gonza's old grip tape jobs or whatever, but
1: yeah blinding. it was
3: like it yeah exactly, and it was like. I think there was more of a focus or a fusion between art and skateboarding back then with like more people who were road boards, because it was like, I have to draw my grip tape. I have to use my, that blank black 32 inches to, um, you know, say something about myself or make some sort of a statement or, you know, um, I, I just love that creativeness of that era, you know? And nowadays it's like we just slap grip tape on or somebody has like tie dye grip tape that they buy. <laughs> but yeah. you don't see a lot of people like drawing on their boards or drawing on their t-shirts. That like, they're not oozing the same creativity mm-hmm. and, and it's not bad. It's just, you know, it's just different, you know, like for sure. But, but I love looking back at that and like, like, he spent hours on his grip tape before he rode that board, you know? <laughs> yeah, and then
1: and then it broke, like, three hours later.
5: <laughs> maybe <laughs> not back then, but that's no, probably why
1: people stopped. back then stop. probably rode for a while.
3: Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> but in the 90s it was probably like, yeah, these twigs are going to go in, like, a day. Fuck it. Yeah,
3: maybe that's what stopped it, to be honest. Is it could be. Like, that World Industries era, I mean, I wasn't even sponsored and I was going through like a board a week. So those dudes were changing a board a day if they didn't break them. You know, every time I talked to those guys, I asked them about the wood and how awesome the shapes were and stuff. But the trade off was always best board for one day. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, best shape, best wood just for one day, you know? Like,
1: yeah. <laughs> uh, well, uh, I want to switch gears a little bit and go back to, uh, to something like the whole kind of the theme of our podcast, what we ask everybody is how have you been doing through all this uh, pandemic and quarantine stuff? How How has this affected your day-to-day routine?
2: Um,
3: my answer is not. It's probably an unpopular opinion. Um, for me, <laughs> this quarantine has been really amazing um we've
1: heard that before (laughs) yeah
3: yeah
2: okay well yeah so
3: So, you know there's a backstory to that but I'll, i'll tell the regular i'll answer first and um yeah yeah i've been able to be very productive uh i'm fortunate enough that none of my work has slowed down um I hate seeing anybody get sick or die. I know someone who came down with coronavirus and it wasn't pleasant. Um, he's okay, luckily. Um, so, you know, I feel a little guilty sometimes being like, I'm doing fucking great. <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, I'm buying stocks cause they're cheap and I'm fucking <laughs> getting my work done and my to-do list is empty and my inbox is empty and people are just like, oh, you're an asshole. You know? <laughs> but, uh, it's been really good. I've, you know, I'm just developing new habits. I'm eating at home more, like losing weight, saving money. Like I don't know. Like all I'm. I don't know. The more you sit and stare at something, the more you can find like better ways to be efficient with it or whatever. And, and you know, I'm sitting in my house and I'm like, oh, I don't need this thing. I can throw that out. You know, like, I don't know. I just love fine-tuning everything and and having this opportunity to slow down has given me a chance to, like, finish decorating my house and throw out a bunch of crap and get a lot of work done and watch movies and, and, you know, just all kinds of cool stuff that I don't get to do because I'm too worried about, like, going out to dinner with friends or going to the bar, you know, like... Mm -hmm. Or having to go to, like, work-related shit. I work from home, but I still have to go to stuff. And, Yeah, you know, right now I don't have to go to anything. All my travel is canceled for the year because the Olympics were moved. So I have a travel-free year, which is, like, a blessing. Like, <laughs> I don't know if you guys know, but I'm, like, the marketing director for the USA Skateboarding. Oh, no, I didn't
1: know that. But I did oh, see awesome. you in the Barrick video about it, the team. Running.
3: Yeah. Yeah, so, um, you know, last gig. year I was all over at all the events, you know, and this year everything got canceled, and I was secretly, like, cheering on the call. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, I don't have to go to fi- China five times? Shit. <laughs> you know, like, um so I was stoked. Like, I'm stoked to be at the first Olympics and be part of that history um, for skateboarding, you know. But mm-hmm. I wasn't bummed this year. I just, it's nice to have a year off, to be honest. That's awesome. So so to answer your question, I'm doing amazing during this, this quarantine. <laughs>
1: yeah, man, everybody's handling it differently. And so if some people can find uh, positive light through all this, that, that's
3: awesome. Yeah, and I hope other people can use the opportunity to slow down. I thought about other people a lot who I think their initial reaction was like, anxiety or fear or what am I going to do? And I'm like, man, I wish I could just consult all these people on like how to keep yourself busy and be productive and, and like turn this into a good thing, you know? Mm -hmm. But, you know, not everyone's an introvert like me. And, and, um, you know, about a year ago was when I found out that I had like autism and, and depression and PTSD. And that plays into this whole thing too, is where like, because of my autism, I'm high-functioning, obviously, but because of my autism, I'm, like, built for being alone. Like, I can thrive this way, and and this is the way I am. And other people, I, I can't relate to other people, but I, I've had to learn to understand, just like I had to learn how different I am. I've had to really acknowledge in the last year of, like, other people are very different than me. So I can't scoff at someone who can't handle this quarantine. Cause it's actually really weird that I'm, I'm thriving, you know, I'm the <laughs> yeah. weird one. Um, so you know, I, I wish I could help other people, but you know, there's no fixing how people are, you know, it's not a bad thing. It's like, yeah, people aren't used to this shit and they're not built for it. Most humans are built for, um, being together and like hanging out.
1: Yeah. It's Socializing. have you, um, have you had any time to skate at all during this or are you kind of sticking to your
3: house indoors? No, I have. So where I live in Laguna, I live in this neighborhood. God, this is going to sound so douchey, but I'm just gonna, <laughs> like say So Laguna Beach, Laguna Beach is like fairly upscale. I don't own a house here or anything. I'm not like some millionaire. I rent, but I live in this neighborhood. The neighborhood's literally called top of the world. <laughs> um, and you've seen it in videos. There's a park. There's a park here Yeah, Nigel's two blocks away from me. No. Oh wow. Yeah, he, de- <laughs> he definitely has a nice house.
1: So you're um, in uh, Architect Digest or whatever coming
5: out next.
3: No, no. I, mean, I, I live in a guest house of a of an actress actually. Oh. Sick. Um, hey, cool. but uh. Yeah. So the neighborhood's called Top of the World, which is so like pretentious. But it overlooks downtown Laguna and the ocean. And, uh, but there's a school, a park up here called Top of the World Park. And you've seen it in videos. Like there's a concrete sea bench that like Kelly Hart has skated and um, Devin Calloway has skated. Um, But yeah, I live like a block. I live like a block from a little elementary school and there's flat ground and regular curbs. And then like, those curbs that start at the flat ground So you can, like, roll up them You don't even have to slappy grind them You just roll and yeah. grinding And So I go yeah. through there with my, my dog And I don't always get full-on sessions But I'm like, I like roll around I like to make sure I can still, mm-hmm. like, roll around on a skateboard And not, like, hit a crack and slam, you know Like, <laughs> I like to make sure I can still function Yeah, that's good You know I'll get
1: uh, too, like, stale-legged or something Yeah,
3: it's weird, you know, you take enough time off your board And even, like, pushing down the sidewalk gets scary Because you're, like, not used to cracks Or you're not used to, like, you know, ollieing up a curb on on commands Like, it's like you get out of shape in a weird way, you know And you can't just cruise the streets the way you used to Much Mm -hmm. less do tricks, you know For sure you guys are still younger, so you probably don't have to worry about that. <laughs> maybe maybe not Ruben. He's fucking like, he's
1: he's good no matter what. Me, I, yeah. I I need like twenty minutes if I wanna really like start to feel like I could start alling on to something. Yeah.
3: Yeah. But, but I hate now. <laughs> like if I'm cruising down the street now and like I have to dodge something I can't just like necessarily Ollie up a curb And be all quick Like I used to I have to like jump off Like a fucking (laughs) longboard You
5: know
2: like You don't even do the tic-tac
3: Like
1: you lift up the front And then the back (laughs) What's that? You don't do like the tic-tac Where you like lift up the front truck And then lift up the back truck
3: No Well I just mean like Sometimes I mean I remember Skating through New York Or SF When I was like You know in the like Late 90s When I was like in my prime. And it was like, you can just mash through the streets and like anything that you need to ollie, anything you need to like swerve, anything you need to power slide, like whatever. Now it's like sketchy. I mean, yeah, I, I know how to do that stuff, but that level of, it's not second nature, you know, like it used to be mm-hmm. that level of confidence that I could swerve and ollie up the high curb to like, not kill a person is, is not the same, you know? <laughs> Yeah. Hit me up Rube. in 10 years. We'll know exactly what I'm talking about.
1: <laughs>
3: Will do. Yeah.
1: Rube, did you have a question for Rob?
4: Yeah, I just, I wanted to go back, um, cause you were talking about mm-hmm. how last year was when, uh, you were officially diagnosed with everything and, um, mm-hmm. did you kind of have any qualms? or hesitations about going public with that? Or did you feel confident about sharing that with the world and, and how people were going to respond to
3: that? Um, I had zero hesitation. Um, I think there's two things. Um, number one, I'm a writer and a storyteller and that's what I do. And that's the way I sort of connect with the world and, I've always hoped that whatever I put out there, not like I'm some major like activist or, you know, I'm not trying to change the world, but I want people to read things that I do. Even if it's an interview with a pro and they're like, Oh, I like that pro better now that I read that interview. Like I didn't like them before. (laughs) I want people, I want people to feel something like I want my work to affect people in some sort of way. Even if it's, their their perception of a of a person uh improving or whatever. But in the case of this it was like I could share this and let people know that it's I'm comp- I'm not really fazed by it. It's been a the the diagnoses were actually really great because they helped me put things into context. Um my entire past. I've re, re- it all. Not a word, but you know <laughs> I've re- <laughs> passed and I was like okay now that I know that I have this autism here's why these things seem so confusing and so but the other part of it is that I think possibly my autism is the very is one of the reasons I'm not hesitant to put stuff out there cuz maybe yeah. I'm less emotional about it or I'm less it's it's less weird for me and and some people have a really hard time discussing uh disabilities or mental illness or anything that they're going through the, the medication they're on and for me I it's just all it's so matter of fact for me which could be related to my autism itself that I don't care so I'm like well if I can put this out there and help someone it's no skin off my back you know I don't mind I don't feel like yeah. I'm making a big sacrifice or taking a big risk so why wouldn't I do it it's like it's like holding a door for someone to me. Like it's just common sense. Like it doesn't, it doesn't take any effort for me. People are like, you're so brave and this and that. And I'm like, I'm like, I get why you say that, but I'm not as brave as some other people. Like, I just don't, I don't care, (laughs) you know? So so I put it out there because, because I don't care. It's, It's no loss for me. It's not a risk effort. So that's why mm-hmm. I put it out there and, and and the more you make these things normal, whether it's uh people with disabilities or people with mental illness or people who are uh, you know, LGBTQ community, wh- whatever it is, the more normal you make it, the the better because then people understand it and more importantly, um people who are part of those communities or who are afflicted with the same things, um they don't feel alone. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know?
4: Yeah. It's liberating because you're, you're creating a space for people to, you know, come forward and feel comfortable to share who they are and, you know, and feel
3: fully confident in doing so. Mm -hmm. I realized, um, I realized the power of that when my dad, so my dad passed away in 2001. He was 54. I was 24. 25, and, and a lot of my friends back in Jersey and coworkers and stuff, they were there with me for that experience, like a year of him being sick and then the aftermath of him dying. And so many people started coming up to me in the following years like, hey, I lost my mom or I lost my aunt. And uh, they would all be like, I, I thought of you. You know, I guess I was the first person that a lot of people knew to have like a parent die because we were relatively young,, mm-hmm. and so people would come up to me, and I realized there was a comfort for them in uh knowing that I'd already gone through that before them, and that they could like talk to me about it, and it was kind of at that moment or that time frame when I realized the power of like being really open, like, oh, my dad died when I was twenty four and then and then that Years later, I would tell people that, oh, everybody thought I was gay and I used to get beat up. And then now I'm like, oh, you know, uh, I have autism and depression. And yeah, and that, and that way it just makes it easier for people, I think, not just to come to me, but to just be like, oh, this is a pretty normal thing.
5: Easy. Mm-hmm.
3: That's my goal in sharing all these things over the years, you know? Yeah. That's a
1: great goal. I mean, that's.
3: Great that you recognized that early on. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it came from tragedy, but there's only... Yeah, sort of... I'm not some super, like, motivational positivity guy by any means, but <laughs> I do think you can <laughs> always pull some sort of growth out of bad situations,
5: you know?
1: Yeah. So I want to just bring it back a little bit for the mm-hmm. any, anybody who might be listening to this. Um Yeah. We're, it's the end of the month of May and May is uh, mental health awareness month and it's something that me and Ruben are, uh, are advocate for is, is mental health and like being open about it and, and talking to your friends and stuff, especially in skateboarding. And one of the things that really, um, ignited, I mean, we we're not perfect. Me and Ruben have both had maybe an undiagnosed, um, mental health problems but uh, uh one of the things that really ignited us to want to like be open about this is the passing of ben ramers and um mm-hmm. him committing suicide and knowing that he had demons inside or, i mean for lack of a better word that's i guess that's yeah. what people say but like had demons inside that like his friends didn't even know about because he felt that he couldn't talk to them or you know nobody knows the reason why but like um but anyways, so we made the point of the month of May to post something on our story every day to kind of make give, you know, raise a little bit more awareness. We were actually going to do an event down in San Diego last month to uh, help out the Ben Ramers Foundation, but it got canceled because of all this COVID stuff. But, uh, yeah. it's, it's something close to our, uh, you know, morals and, uh, you reached out to us because you, are have kind of been going through all this at the same time and you mm-hmm. were diagnosed with um depression and uh um, not Asperger's or it's a type of well, Asperger's. Uh, yeah.
2: But, yeah. It
3: would have been it they don't use the term Asperger's anymore. I, I believe okay. it's related to it's not like a PC. It, it is a PC. Yeah. but I think the. uh I think the man who discovered it was a Nazi and uh, his name huh. is Asperger.
0: So ah, okay.
3: um it's not like that term is insulting to people on the spectrum, it's that I believe he had Nazi ties, so they stopped using that term. <laughs> so technically oh, yeah. I have what's called autism spectrum disorder because mm-hmm. the spectrum is so wide, you know. Um Yeah. You know and, and, and you... I'm on the high end. I gotcha. Yeah. I uh and
1: and you just were diagnosed last year in your 40s. How did, how did everything like, how did it lead to you being diagnosed? Did you seek, uh, di- like help and you were diagnosed or how did that come about that it was like kind of, uh, I don't want to say later in life, but you know, <laughs> yeah,
3: I was 44. Yeah, was 43, which is late. Um, and that's why it was an easier diagnosis than if you're with a child um, who can't communicate as well. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, who so, diagnoses these things? A therapist, a doctor? Uh, yeah.
3: So, like, yeah, run so us through that. In my case, it's my therapist. I go to psychotherapy. Um, it's not a, it's not a psychiatrist. It's a psychologist. Um, mm-hmm. Psychiatrists are the ones that can uh, prescribe meds and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so just to give you a little history, like even when I was a kid, um, this isn't gonna be the coolest wording, but this is like I just always felt like something was wrong with me when I was a kid, like growing up. Like mm-hmm. always felt like something was off, you know? But you don't know, especially in the eighties and nineties, nobody was aware of autism the way they are now. And I don't know. I just felt always like something was wrong with me and um there was always a part of me that was kind of like struggling for answers in a way, but I just didn't know how to go about it. You're just a kid, you know, or a teenager. Yeah. And I just thought I was like I just thought at some point I'm like, I guess I'm just like a fucked up angry teenager or like I guess I'm just yeah. weird, you know? Um and uh, maybe I'm just different and that's why people make fun of me so much or whatever, but um over time, as I got older, I had the financial means. Um, it just started feeling so overwhelming that I was like, I think I need to go to therapy and talk to someone. This was in 2013. I went mm-hmm. to therapy for the first time. And it wasn't because I thought I had autism. I just, I was a very angry person. I, like, hated everything. I hated the world. Like, everything was anger and resentment and I was so tired of living like that. And that's why I went to therapy the first time. And after about eight months, it started to feel like we hit a wall. Um, felt like it was really repetitive. So I quit therapy. And then uh, somewhere around 2016, um, those feelings started really coming back like uh anger and resentment and, and just hating the world around me and sleeping a lot and just, not even knowing what happiness is, you know, like not even experiencing like a shred of happiness. Uh, I was never suicidal or anything. I was just always like, what the fuck is wrong with me? Like, why can't I just be normal? Like, why can't I just, why can't I just enjoy something? You know, mm-hmm. why do I hate everything? Like, um, and when you combine, that's the depression and the PTSD, right? That's mm-hmm. what that is. Um, the autism is, like, social and communication-related. So sometimes I would go to bars or something. This is an example. Like, well, I go to bars or somewhere like that. People fuck with me all the time, even as an adult. I could just be standing in the corner at a bar, like, having a beer, minding my own business, and, like, inevitably someone will start shit with me. And my friends have seen it. And they're just like, I don't fucking get it, dude. Like I'm, I'm this weird magnet, right? And crazy. And because of my PTSD and probably my autism, like I have a strange way of communicating at times that people aren't used to. Um, like when somebody fucks with me because of my PTSD, I get really gnarly, like right away, not physically, but like I'll yeah. just verbally unload because I never stood up for myself as a kid and that's one of my biggest regrets. So someone comes up to me at a bar and they're, they're starting shit with me for no reason. I'm like, fuck you, you fat motherfucker. You know, like I'll go in like right away and just make it so bad. And these things were happening so frequently. Like people were fucking with me that I... And I was like getting worse. Like my reactions were getting worse. And um, I, um I, I woke up one day and I was like, man... I'm like really lucky I haven't been hurt or hurt somebody else or put myself in jail, like in a fight. You know what I mean? Like Mm
2: -hmm. there was a
3: point where some dude came up to me and was like fucking with me at a bar and he like started gently like slapping my face, like not hard, but like being a wise ass. And I like raised my glass. I had like a gin, like a gin drink, not like a thick glass, like a pretty thin rocks glass or whatever. And I was ready to just smash it into the side of his head, like I almost did it. And that would have been like assault, you know? I could have like killed the dude. And granted, he slapped me in the face first, but
2: you know, whatever.
3: And I just woke up feeling really scared that I, you know, I dodged a bullet and I think I need to go get help. It wasn't, wasn't an alcohol problem. Like I don't have problems with drinking or substances. I don't take drugs. Like, it was PTSD and my reaction to the way people were treating me. And so I was like, I think I need to go back to therapy. Like this is getting really bad. Like I'm going to get hurt or someone's going to get hurt. And, uh, yeah. So I, I went to two therapists. I started going to two different therapists and they didn't know about each other because I wanted to test a few different people out, see who I liked. Mm -hmm. Um, and both therapists within the second week were like, pretty sure you have autism. And I was like, holy shit. Like, that's a new one. And yeah, they both said it se- separate of one another. Like, the depression and the PTSD was obvious. That was like first session, right? Uh-huh. And then a week or two later, they they each were like, you know, there's a lot of signs of autism here. And I was like, oh, wow. Uh-huh. And then... You had never been told had, that before? No, but it didn't surprise me. Mm-hmm. I had joked to people, like, I think I have autism, like, and people would be like, nah, nah, because it's mild, you know. Yeah. But, uh, but, but it's still enough to be different enough that people notice in certain ways, you know. Um, mm-hmm. And so I ended up settling with one of those two therapists, and as we got deeper into things, um, she works with autistic children, um, pretty frequently and she was like yeah you have you definitely have autism like, you know wow. and so you know it doesn't have the um as an adult you don't get the all the extensive testing that you would get as a child because you know um they're not trying to figure out how to get me an education or what school to put me in or all these crazy factors that a child at a young age need yeah. to be evaluated so that you can give them a good life. You know um, for me, it's, it was pretty cut and dry and pretty obvious to both of my therapists. Um, but there's nothing, there's nothing I can do now. I have that information and I move forward with my life armed with that information. Like I can walk into a bar and be a lot different now. You know, I can be like, mm-hmm. okay, not everyone's gonna like like the way I communicate, or you know, in my office. If I have an office job, I'm gonna be like, okay. Um, some people might think the way I'm emailing, I sound like an asshole, but I'm really just being simple and matter of fact because because people with autism tend to not sugarcoat things. They're not ones to be like, hey, how's your weekend? I hope everything's finding you well. <laughs> I'm just like, hey, where's that thing that was due today? You know. Yeah, and, and and that comes, comes off, off as offensive. Mm-hmm. But I'm yeah. just like pragmatic, really. I just like don't see the need for any of that other nonsense. So it's so not personal. Te- text messaging is probably tough. Dude, yeah, I mean, just communication <laughs> in general for me is pretty tough. And yeah, thank God there's been a few people in my life who kind of got me when a lot of others didn't. You know? Um, you know, whether it be in a corporate office situation or friends or whatever because in general not a lot of people uh, can handle the sort of matter of factness that that, that <laughs> I convey and I'm not trying to be an asshole I'm not trying to like keep it real it's just me like you know what I mean Yeah. so um, I wonder... that was a long-winded story but I hope that makes it's sense enough. hey yeah. man that's what we're here for yeah, so yeah. it's been amazing though, you know. And then I, for the first time in my life, I since we're on the mental health tip, um, the yeah, I've it. I've resisted medication my whole life. Like I said earlier, I don't take. I've never really done drugs. Like I yeah, I, I smoked weed a couple times, and like I just don't. Just drugs aren't for me. Like I just never wanted to get involved because I didn't want to distract my focus or spend the money. To be honest, mm-hmm. so yeah, drinking. I yeah I drink you know so uh, like you know I go out on a friday night like twice a month and have some drinks with my friends and and that's the extent of it really but uh yeah I resisted meds forever I was always against them it felt weak it felt like I was giving up it, I thought I might get addicted and what all those things and they're all very um, reasonable concerns but um my therapist eventually was like she knew I didn't want them, and eventually mm-hmm. I came to the conclusion i'm like okay i'm forty four I can like try this out and risk the possible side effects temporarily, or I can go on being angry and stressed out and anxious, you know yeah, it's so not she, much to lose, yeah, at this point, it's become a quality of life thing, you know mm-hmm. I mean,
1: so are how the many- meds sorry are the meds for the the depression or the autism or both?
3: Yeah, no, there's no meds for autism. The meds are for the PTSD and the depression. But Because I have this combination, Mm -hmm. I have this combination of all three, right? So Mm -hmm. when some of the anxiety, basically my brain is like like a a tire on a fucking Ferrari, like just spinning all the time, you know, at Mm -hmm. 100 miles an hour and that. Thinking about the time some dude you know, push me into a locker in fifth grade. Like, and that, you know what I mean? Like I'm a grown ass man, like ruminating on things like that all day long, you know? Mm -hmm. And, and that's the PTSD. And so, um, the medication is for the depression. It takes away the anxiety and the, it just calms my brain down. I'm on Lexapro, which is, I've been on it since September. I haven't, other than a little bit of weight gain, which I got rid of, there wasn't any side effects. Like it's not, it hasn't felt addictive. I'm on half a dose for my size and it's been amazing. Like I can't, I'm not a doctor, but I can't recommend that people try it enough. (laughs) It it seriously changed my life and I'm on half a a dose. So, so the Lex Pro just chills my brain out. It like, Instead of driving, let's say I'm driving to L.A. for an hour to go see, like, a video premiere. Instead of driving the whole way and being like, this fucking guy in front of me is an asshole. I hate the fucking dude that bullied me in fifth grade. And fuck that dude at work. And that would be my brain for an hour straight, right? Mm-hmm. Now my brain is yeah. like, listening to Howard Stern and, like, thinking about where I need to get off the freeway. And it's, like, empty. And it's the first time I ever felt that in my life. And I'm like, oh, uh, this is what people normal people are like. Like, they're just driving, like, pa la, la la, you know. Um, <laughs> and and that was an amazing feeling for me, I like stressing out about some girl that ghosted me ten years ago, you know, and, or whatever whatever it was. It all sounds petty, but it affects people differently. And and you know, all any time I was ever like wronged or hurt, like. those things are just replaying my mind all the time, like my entire life. And, you know, uh, having that being gone to a degree because of the meds has been amazing.
1: Wow. That's great to hear, man. Like, yeah, that's awesome. Do you, um, could, so one thing I wanted to talk about, because people might not know this. So like, so, Autism is a mental disability, right? But depression is a mental illness? Do I have that correctly? Yeah. What would.
3: Yeah, I don't know if autism. Yeah, autism is a disability and, and depression is a mental illness. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So what do you. How do. What makes the difference between a mental illness and a mental uh, disability? For people um, who might not God. be aware. I mean, right. I know you're not wish... a doctor, but.
3: Yeah, I wish I knew how to answer that. I probably shouldn't because I don't know that I know the mm. exact answer. I, like, wish I had my therapist with me right now. <laughs> just, <laughs> no she's way. amazing.
5: You just
1: hear those terms thrown around so much. So, I was like, yeah. yeah.
3: And I think with autism, it's confusing because autism might be one of the only, like, invisible disabilities, right? Like, where yeah. it's your brain, not your uh, back or your legs or your, you know what I mean? Uh yeah, yeah. so I think that is why it's confusing Because it sort of seems to straddle both I didn't know autism was considered a disability Until I was diagnosed with it mm-hmm. um, Which was cool because There are certain things I can do now Like if I go get a job in an office God forbid that happens again <laughs> um, I, could, I can actually present to the HR department And my managers like Okay, I have this disability. Uh, I might need my own office or my own quiet space, or I might need um, a little more time to do project. You know what I mean? Like, and legally, I'm protected by the Americans with Disabilities Act. You oh, know?
1: Wow. so it's like an yeah. official thing. It's not like they just told you, like, yeah, you have that, and you left the office. It was like, all right, it's like on paper. Oh yeah,
3: no, like, it's real. Like, I can, you know, like I, like my dog is considered not a service dog, but she's a legitimate support dog. Like a a emotional support dog? Yeah, where I can, like, bring her on planes. You know, I'm allowed to bring her on planes for free and bring her into hotels, and and I can't be uh, turned away for housing. She's Mm -hmm. not a full-on service dog by any means, and I never try to milk that either because... (laughs) I just kind of hate when people milk the the actual service dog thing. Oh man, I don't I bring her that. into restaurants. <laughs> I don't bring her anywhere she's not supposed to be. But yeah. um, you know, when I'm flying with her, yeah, I am able to like have her on the seat instead of under the seat. You know, just mm-hmm, those yeah. little things. But but yeah, it is considered a real disability. Um, and like I it would, should be, I would, I would be able to collect disability if I were unemployed. You know. Um, mm-hmm. On top of the unemployment, I guess. I've never had to do that, but um, mm-hmm. yeah, it's yeah. classified as that. Yeah, it's
4: it's good to know that you're supported though, and just in case, and and you know, not that yeah, you wouldn't have to have that as an option, but
3: yeah, it, that actually felt really good because knowing that I could um, present a letter of my condition to an employer in the future because. I've had difficulties at work in corporate America over the years. And, you know, when you have a autism, like on the level of mine, where people think you're normal, but maybe you're just a little weird. Um, mm-hmm. It's not like you're, you're not autistic enough where people are like, oh, he's like different, you know? It's like people think you're normal and they're like, dude, just stop being that way. Cause I'm normal enough where people could be like, just stop emailing that way, or just stop talking like that, or just—they think yeah. like it's it's changeable. Switch, and some things, man. yeah, right. some things are changeable. But imagine a dude like having like a broken arm, and you're like, oh, just pick up that pen and write. You're like, he's like, I can't. Like it's broken. <laughs> you know what I mean? There are some yeah. things that you're not going to be able to change about me, and I'm not using that as an excuse to like milk anything. There's yeah. just some things that aren't gonna to because 'cause they're an actual disability. But when people can't see that, they I don't act like Rain Man or something. <laughs> um they I don't act blatantly disabled. Uh fortunately I'm I'm not. Um but people don't people forget or they think it's changeable, um, at my level because it's like invisible, you know? Mhm. So having that protection is actually good because I've worried about the future of my employment before because I have such a hard time in offices or I've been laid off or uh, I can't find a job in the skate industry and I have to go into this world that doesn't know about me, and, and to them I'm just another person. I'm not like a homie or the Weekend Buzz guy. I'm <laughs> just another person, you know. And so mm-hmm. having those protections are really nice. Um, I'm not the type of dude to fall back on them, but it feels nice to know that I have a little bit more um, of a chance to be set up to succeed um, given given my diagnoses.
4: Yeah, and you have a full network of support behind you, and that it makes a difference in just feeling comfortable to function and be
3: who you are on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, and I'll say too, the reason I can speak the way I'm speaking about this um, is because of my last year of therapy. Like, I used to not be able to explain what was going on in my head or what was wrong with me because I didn't know, you know, Mm -hmm. and I probably sound really smart or really knowledgeable or something, um, but it's because of the therapy that I'm able to elaborate um, what's going on in my brain and how the autism feels and and, you know, a lot of people, they can't explain themselves or they're too young to or, or they are armed with the information that I am. And that's why therapy has been really important for me, <clears throat> you know? Yeah. As I mean,
1: I I have never gone to therapy, but I totally believe in it and stack it and mm-hmm. think that it can be really helpful for people. Um, so I totally yeah, I think everybody it. should go. Yeah.
3: No, so, I, I wish it was covered. It too. Yeah, me too. I yeah. think anyone who wants to be a parent, it should be mandatory before they have a baby. That sounds like communist or something, but <laughs> <laughs> I, I honestly think like everybody before marriage should go through like an extensive therapy. Alone mm-hmm. and as a couple, I think if you want to be a parent, because there's so many people who are a mess who like bring kids. This world and they just, they just ruin them, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Man. And then you end up with people like the fucking cop that just killed that dude, you know? Yeah. Like, right. That's like people, monsters are breeding monsters. And I think, I think, um, you know, I think therapy is really important. I wish it was covered by insurance. I mean, mine's, some of mine's covered by my insurance, but I mean, I wish it was accessible on a, on a grand scale regardless of your income or your socioeconomic status because it could help so many people once they're, they make themselves vulnerable and willing to go yeah, they, yeah. you know the,
1: the, something that always comes up uh or you know a lot of these organizations like the National Alliance of Mental Illness like their their um m- sorry, motto is uh like break the stigma and, like, it's, like, the stigma of mental health, but it's totally, like, therapy itself has a stigma, too. Like, oh, you're going to therapy? Like, what? I don't need therapy. Like, I can, I got this. But, um, yeah. yeah, if we can, like, break through that stigma and tell people, like, it's okay to, like, talk to somebody or to need help or stuff like yeah. that.
3: And I think, too, a lot of this stuff comes with age. Like, when you're younger, you're like, mm-hmm. oh, old people who are fucked up go to therapy, you know? Or, right. like, old, old rich, you know, middle-aged rich people take medication and get addicted to it. Or, like, even when I moved to California, my uncle, who's, like, he's, like, this awesome dude. That He's the dude in my family who I'm most like. Um, he was, like, I told him I was in therapy, and he's, like, oh, I forgot everyone in California has a therapist, you know. <laughs> and that's, like that's a cultural difference from the East coast to the West coast. That's not even like age or income or anything, even on the East coast. It's like, Oh, you're a pussy. You go to therapy. Like I remember that when I lived there, you know? Yeah. Um, But yeah, I, I don't know. It's more like, imagine having like, I call it like a massage for your brain or like a massage for your heart. Like, Imagine having a best friend every week sit there and listen to you and not judge you and give you advice and tell you things you would have never known about yourself because they're trained to identify them. Like it's it's a win-win situation.
2: Mm
3: -hmm. (laughs) Like having fucking Guy Mariano sitting there with you at a TF every time you're trying to skate, telling you like, Here's what you need to do to learn this trick. Like, you know what <laughs> yeah. I mean? I, I don't know. It's like amazing, you know?
5: Yeah, yeah.
4: It's, it's tricks for life and for the overall betterment of and of your life and day to day and your longevity. And it's it's important
3: to come to terms with that and have somebody help you in that aspect. Yeah. I'll tell you too, when I, when I first started talking about this a couple months ago on my Instagram, like the most common question, like obviously my DMs lit up and the most common question was like, how do I find a therapist or how do I start going to therapy? You know? Yeah. And that is a really scary thing because it's like, it's almost like the first time you buy a house or a car, you're like, what do I do? Like, where do I start? You know? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And It's overwhelming. And it's like, I answered that question more than anything, you know?
1: Um, I wanted to ask about that when you, when you found out and you posted about it on Instagram, what, um, what sort of backlash or like negativity did you receive from, uh, posting about that?
3: Um, my first post, um, I didn't initially talk about the autism cause I didn't want to like jump the gun and, Mm -hmm. Um, my first post was about my depression and my PTSD because the autism had been I hadn't really gotten so deep into it where I could confidently and definitively be like yeah I I have autism you know and I also didn't understand it so I didn't want to talk about it so my first post was in like September of last year I was on a road trip across the country I think maybe October and the the mental health post Everyone was very supportive. Um, I didn't get any backlash because, and I think this is the interesting part. I think, I think that shows progress, um, on the public's part. Um, I think depression and PTSD are pretty understood, um, for the most part. Um, mm-hmm. or at least people, it's common enough. But when I came back a couple months later or like a couple weeks later with the autism post, that's where, like, some bullshit started. Where, uh, yeah. So, and and I can only imagine that this, that this comes from like a lack of awareness, and it comes from the invisibility of the disability, right? So, mm-hmm. um, you know, the slapboards lit up like this motherfucker needs attention. He's a narcissist. Like, uh, autism's just a catch-all for whatever. We all have fucking, you know, just all that common shit, like, and I don't, mm-hmm. I'm not saying that the slap boards are like that important, but I'm giving you an idea of <laughs> yeah. what was said about me, because these are the things that get said about a lot of people yeah. in these situations. So and you're reading all, this
1: about yourself
3: yeah.
1: on yeah, the so, internet.
3: <laughs> Yeah. The important part is that it was all the cliche reactions, all the cliche negative reactions were piling up within like one, two, three pages, however long it got, right? And it was like he just needs attention, I don't like the way he announced it he's a narcissist, like autism, it, everyone's autistic like all everything to like discount what I said basically and there was a couple people who were like pretty cool, they were like, hey if someone's saying that they've got something we should probably believe them, that's not cool, or like you know, there there were people that, uh, you know, brought some reason into the discussion, which I appreciate. But, you know, and then I could tell it was after that slap thread. Then I started seeing comments on Instagram in different places. Like Rob Brinks, like a fake autist, like things <laughs> like that. And I was like, I was like, okay, Jesus. people must have got this from the slap thread or whatever. I don't know. Right. And, then, and I, got a D, I got a DM from a friend. Um I use the term friend very loosely now. Um, I don't want to mention his name, but he's a he's in the industry and he was he came at me pretty hard. He was like, yeah, you, it's fucked up that you're using the term disability and I was like, Listen dude, like you know, he's like if you're gonna start claiming you have autism, like all kinds of bullshit like that. I like showed the exchange to my therapist and she's like, dude, that dude is fucked up in the head. Like, <laughs>
0: yeah. she, I showed him the conversation.
3: She's like, she's like, that dude is fucked up. Like, and I'm like, yeah, I realized it after the fact. And, um, I was like, holy shit. Like I'm getting attacked by a friend for like whatever his agenda is. I don't know. You know what I mean? Like I don't know if who knows why, uh, it was. Instead, it doesn't have to be support. You could just say nothing, right? You could not come into my DMs. You don't have yeah. to kiss my ass and coddle me and tell me how good I am or that you're sorry. You could just not say anything. But this dude who I've known for, like, 15 years decided to come in and, like, attack me and tell me how to tell my story. And I was, like, pretty much, I was just like, fuck you, I would have never done something like this to you. And that's that. Like, it's over, you know what I mean? Like that dude's not a friend, you know? Mm-hmm. But I mean, I, I don't know. The slap stuff didn't surprise me, but to me it was important because it's reflective on the natural reactions of people mm-hmm. to this. So, so I don't care that people made fun of me. Like I've been made fun of for years and I've caught way worse on slap even. But the fact that this is how people react to um, people who are afflicted with different things becoming vulnerable or trying to share or whatever. That's the part that was scary to me is like, mm-hmm. I now know what it, I now know what it feels when somebody tries to talk about their mental illness and they get attacked or, and, um, honestly, I personally, the only thing that hurt me was what happened with my friend, but, but it made me scared and it made me understand. Um, why so many people don't come out about their mental illness Um, because they get a bunch of people denying, doubting them or thinking they're doing it for attention. Right. And I said this, I said this in an Instagram post last week. If someone's full of shit, you'll figure that out eventually. Give them the benefit of the doubt in the beginning and, Uh and believe them, believe them the same way you want to believe someone that says they were raped or like, there's no reason not to believe them until it becomes obvious that they're not telling the truth. Right. So I don't, I don't know why there's this mission to like expose me or call me out for like, for like saying I had autism. Like Mm
5: -hmm. if
3: I wanted attention, dude, you know how easy it is to get attention in skateboarding? Like you (laughs) could, all you need to do is like start a shit talking Instagram account or like, but like there's you know what i mean or like skate in those fucking dunks with the fucking zip ties on them or whatever like, dude, it's <laughs> K- so easy Reese to get Jackson. attention yeah make <laughs> fun of make fun of uh fucking people's pants
2: like,
3: um there's so many ways to get attention believe me i know how to do it and i just wouldn't do it this way you know yeah like, well
1: that that brings me to another point that i wanted mm-hmm. to ask about is like Do you think the skateboarding community is as open minded and accepting as we claim to be? Because it's always like, oh, skateboarding, you know, like all gender, all sizes, all abilities. And then, but then you see Thrasher post uh, a clip of a transgender skater on their Instagram, and all these people in the comments are like, that's a dude. uh," Like, and you're like, dude, where is this community that I thought I was a part of that was supposed to be so accepting?
2: Yeah.
3: Yeah. No, it's not at all. Um, yeah. I think that's bullshit. I think people say that shit to make themselves feel good.
5: <laughs> like, oh, yeah. we're so
3: accepting, you know.
1: And but I didn't make that up, right? Like, that's a thing no, no that's put out there.
3: Yeah. Oh, all the time. And I think it's it's the biggest lie in skateboarding. You know what I mean? Like, it's the biggest <laughs> lie that skateboarders tell themselves is, and and there's probably yeah. lots of skateboarders that are accepting, but. And how deep does that go? Because maybe it's not gender or sexual preference or race, but maybe you're still hating on someone's fucking pants or shoes, you know? So I think, I think a lot of skateboarders need to chill with thinking that about themselves and like, you know, I, I I don't think that's the case at all. (laughs) I think, I think skateboarding has a lot of work to do. And I'm going to say this. I don't want this to come off insulting. There's a lot of people, skateboarding is relatively full of younger people, right? Um, There's a lot of young people. And, you know, with age, you become wiser and more aware and more open-minded, hopefully. And um, I understand why sometimes kids might not be that open-minded or not understand. I mean, I didn't understand homosexuality when I was in eighth grade. You know, Mm -hmm. I thought it was weird, right? Like, um, I didn't run around, like, there was. I didn't run around making fun of people, but I didn't get it. Um, and as I got older, I grew to understand it. So, um, I think there is a lot of people think they're open-minded and accepting and inclusive, but I don't know. I think that's everybody just like, um, how do you call it? Like, just puffing up their own egos yeah. patting themselves on yeah. the back a little <laughs> too much there's a lot yeah. of people that think if you say something it's true like <laughs> yeah. oh if I just say I'm not racist if I just say how inclusive we are then it's got to be true we're in that era I, now right like right
1: I love Brian Anderson say, I'm not homophobic <laughs> yeah exactly yeah. some kid there's, out yeah. there yeah there's definitely yeah, that or even like
4: of solidarity for sure
3: yeah, and it's like, oh, I'm a, I'm a. It could even boils down to like, I'm a photographer, I'm a model, I'm a, you know what I mean? Like, you can just say whatever you are now.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, but yeah, I, it, it's we're in this era of like, you can like, you can pronounce what you are without having to like earn it or prove it. So people <laughs> think true, that if they, if they say they're inclusive. And that skateboarding so open minded, then it is, but it's really mm-hmm. not. Uh, those are just words. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's,
1: it's uh yeah. You can even go like, like people say, like, that they're pro, and then that means they're pro. Like, yeah, I put my name on a skateboard. It's,
5: I'm yeah, pro. there's a lot like, of people
3: <laughs> turning themselves pro.
5: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like,
3: like I do yeah. Yeah. I don't mean this in any disrespect at all, but, like I've been pretty tuned into skateboarding for the last 30 years. Like I'm pretty nerdy, you know, mm-hmm. and it's kind of like the way I always viewed it and fucking maybe I'll get attacked for saying this or whatever. But Like if, if, if the general public like doesn't know who you are, like the general skateboarding population doesn't know who you are. Like, should you be pro? <laughs> Like, like yeah. people turn pro whose names I, I've never even, like, heard, you know? And I'm like, holy yeah. shit, okay. And I, it doesn't mean they're not good or whatever, but I don't know. I guess, like, up until a couple of years ago, you knew everybody. And when that dude turned pro, you were like, oh, yeah, he's been ripping, you know?
4: <laughs> yeah. yeah. It just doesn't hold the same status that it used to anymore. I mean, people turn pro now just from being from having a lot of uh, followers on Instagram, they don't even put out video parts. They just have a following and then that is what deems you pro. But Yeah. yeah, I do, I do think it's interesting how the standards have changed as far as that's associated. And like, I mean, yeah, a lot of people definitely can be pro now and there's so many brands. It's so hard to keep track of everyone that's, you know, new to the
3: game. But yeah,
4: Yeah, but it just, it doesn't mean the same thing that it used to, and it doesn't
3: have the same effect, I feel like, anymore. Yeah, and I don't, it's not that I'm, like, mad that they're pro, like, I, I'm happy if anybody can get what they want out of skateboarding, to be honest, because I was fortunate enough to make a career without even being a good skater, so, like, I'm not judging that. My, my, just, that's just my opinion, is, like, fuck, like, you should, your name should be known, you know? Yeah, yeah. But well, whatever, maybe that makes mm-hmm. me sound old and out of touch. I don't know, mean. <laughs> but i <laughs> no. I assume there needs to be like a demand for your board, like people asking for your board that that would that would determine that you would turn pro or something, you know, yeah, well, well on top <laughs> of ability, obviously <laughs> right
1: yeah. right we we um yeah, so we said
3: writing too. Like, like For in the sure. age of the blog and stuff, everybody just self-publishes, and now they're a writer, and I guess that's fine. Like, not everybody's like formally trained, like I am, or hey, th-
1: That's what we did. We're, yeah, we're like, yeah. So, I mean, that's turning the
3: yourself pro, I guess. Yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> I, mean, I made myself a a skate yeah. journalist. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> I also made myself a filmer and editor and uh podcaster and <laughs> a whole bunch of other things, thanks to the internet so
3: i wanna just make myself like imagine just saying like i wanna make myself something cool like what was what was uh Indiana Jones was he an archaeologist like, I'm, <laughs> <you> know, <Yeah. laughs> I'm an archaeologist I'm gonna have like one dinosaur bones behind my webcam and just, yeah like, <laughs> I'm an archaeologist they'll
4: they'll
1: add that to your Wikipedia page now (laughs) you'll have (laughs) classical
3: composer (laughs) archaeologist.
1: killing it (laughs) Uh, so yeah anyways we went down like a little rabbit hole there but basically what we were saying like just because you say you're supportive of something doesn't mean it's always necessarily true but What uh, Going going back to kind of what stemmed that, um, besides the the backlash and the negativity you got, what kind of support and positivity did you get from posting about these things on social media?
3: Um, Well, obviously the people who are close to me in my life um, knew and have been supportive from day one. You know, as I'm going through therapy, I'm telling these people, you know, Mm -hmm. um, and they know, and and that's the most important support, you know, even if it's only like two or three people, you know? Um, and my family, you know, I'm not super close to my family, but, but, you know, like my sister's response to my email telling her I had autism was like, we don't care. We love you. You know, like that was all she said. And I was like, that's amazing. Like, you know, um, But as far as like the public or my like acquaintances and all that stuff, um yeah, the general thing was like I still get I still get DMs. Like like maybe a kid'll DM me about like something else I posted, like a movie or something. But he'll be like, Hey, I fucking love that movie. By the way, I think it's really sick that you spoke out about that stuff and uh Yeah, like not everyone will like, obviously, there was a barrage of DMs on the days that I posted those things of, like, thank you so mm-hmm. much, and I have depression, or my brother has autism, or uh I think I might have depression. And I told you earlier, like, asking me about going to therapy. Um, and, you know, just people leaving comments like hearts and I love you's and stuff. It's, as much as it's petty, it still feels nice to see, like, 200 comments of, like, people uh you know, supporting you. Um, you know, and it, it helps outweigh the power, really. helps outweigh the bullshit. And and for someone who might be not be me, those comments might be way more important than, than they are to me. It could really help them feel good. So from um, um, to think but, about too. Yeah. Y- yeah. So um you know, I think those things go a really long way in this era we're in where, you know, someone passes away Someone passes away or Dylan reader passes away and you, you leave a little fucking heart on the post of the person who loved them. You know, um, it might be nothing or it might be stupid, but, but it's something, you know, it, it's like, it, it could help, you know? you know? And when there's 200 mm-hmm. or 2000 of those, like, you know, on Jeff Grasso's account with his son posting now or something, like that, that can be really helpful for him, you know? Um, so, yeah. yeah, I mean, but my favorite stuff is the people who want to share stories or are asking for help because that means they understand or they're trying to like begin the journey, you know? It's great to have someone be like, you're so brave and I respect you. But like, that's just like, you know, a pat on the back. I, I really Great. enjoy when people are, are asking for help and or willing to share a story or telling me that my post encouraged them to go to therapy or something, you know. Um, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. So so all that good, well, that's good. Outwe- it outweighs the bad. <laughs> yeah, that's but, good but to Like, hear that saying, it like I was saying outlay. earlier. Yeah, what's not bad for me might be really hard for somebody else, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Some some other person might some other person in the industry might post the same thing as me and have ten pages on flat making fun of them, and, it, and they might not be able to like just laugh it off, you know? Right. They might be worse, you know. I just don't think you want to be in the position of like putting someone in a worse state uh, when they're already making themselves vulnerable. You wouldn't give somebody drugs if they were, like, trying to go to rehab, you know? Yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> um, yeah that's great that it's not all just, like, negativity. Yeah. Uh, you know
3: you know what else? You brought this up earlier, and I don't want to detail, uh-huh. uh, so save your spot in your head. But <laughs> no, the, fact no, no, that, right. the fact that people talked about Ben committing suicide was really amazing to me. Um, yes, We're, I most, wanted to ask you about that, too. Yeah, because most times when, in skateboarding, when somebody dies and it's like, um, I don't know, maybe this is going to be a controversial statement, but maybe it's just common sense. <laughs> Usually, when somebody like ODs or kills themselves, those are the times you don't hear about the reason, right?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. But
3: when someone dies from cancer or in an accident, Everyone's like, oh, he died in a horrible accident. We lost that person to cancer. But when it's quiet and nobody says anything, that's those are what I believe are the most important times that we should share the cause of death, not because we're gossipy or because we want to judge, but because those could be um, awareness. It could be awareness for tools for someone else.
5: Cool, mm-hmm. you know,
3: oh, fuck, this guy died from an overdose at a party. Or, this guy fucking had in a drunk driving accident or whatever. Or, this dude ki-. The fact that they talked about Ben killing himself right away was, I thought that was great because it was completely transparent and it immediately opened up the discussion of mental health. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't think, I never saw anyone negatively judge or speak ill of, of Ben committing suicide. It's horrible, but I, I didn't hear, I didn't hear or see anything bad. And, um, you know, it's important that that stuff gets out there so that people can learn from it. And maybe, maybe someone who OD'd or, um, I, I, I don't think this needs to go without saying, but, uh, I think this goes without saying, um, Ben did not OD. I don't think that it, he he committed suicide. Um,
5: mm-hmm.
3: Ben wasn't, Taking drugs and partying—I don't think he would. He decided he wanted to kill himself. These are two totally different topics, but
5: yeah, when
3: somebody when somebody ODs accidentally from partying, or someone decides to kill themselves, I think those are two very important things that um, other people learn that these are tragedies, and we don't want to have them, and you know. Hiding that information sometimes feels to me like that person just died in vain. Like there's absolutely nothing good. Um, There can't even be some sort of awareness or education to come out of that, you know? Um, Yeah. And, and it would be cool to know. I I do understand that, you know, if someone ODs, maybe, maybe people think that's private or it's shameful or people will be judgmental that someone died from drugs, but um, at the same time I think people need to understand that partying can get out of control, you know and for sure um, just like now they're starting to learn that mental illness shouldn't be ignored and it's good to speak up and, and maybe we won't lose people to suicide, you know but those two things I, I would love to see people being more open about those two sort of causes of death I mean, I, like I hate to just say it like that but I think I think it could be a learning opportunity for a lot of people. Yeah, knew how yeah. people were dying. You know, I agree. Yeah. Well, and it's also and I'll say again, I, I actually don't know how Ben committed suicide, so I don't want to confuse my talking of mm-hmm. ODing from partying yeah. with taking drugs to kill yourself on purpose. Like I don't, I don't know what happened, um, and I don't yeah. think that matters. I Neither guess. do we. Yeah. 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 It, doesn't, it doesn't matter. Yeah. But, but just you're just clear. talking about two
1: different situations in which yeah. causes of death could be shared to benefit somebody else.
3: Yeah. And I don't know. I don't know if other people feel that way or if I'm saying something that's kind of like rude and not my business. But uh, no, I, I, don't I, totally, I don't know. I totally agree with you. I don't know. What were you going to yeah. say, Ruby?
4: No. Yeah. I was just going to speak on that because I think. I think it's good to talk about these instances because there is kind of that separation of where you feel like you can't connect or when, when an act like that is, is done or that it's happened that you kind of remove yourself from it or you don't understand it and it confuses you. But I think Mm -hmm. the more that you talk about it and open, the more open that you are, we all start to understand that like we all struggle with, mental illness in a different way. And I think that's just Mm -hmm. the first step is just talking about the struggles that we go through and, you know, you, you never know how much that can help people that are dealing with it. And you don't know how many lives it can save as well. Just feeling comfortable to speak in a safe space and feel supported when
3: doing it. Yeah. Or even I can take it back a step to something even simpler. Like some people might, some people might not even consider that autism is, um, a consideration, right? Right. Like, mm-hmm. they might not know, like, they might not know that that could be something that's wrong with them. Um, because new things are being, like, discovered and learned about autism every day. Um, you know, it's, it's different than, like, being diagnosed with cancer or, you know, um, so it's like, someone might be, like, Oh, I've got all these weird things too, but I always thought I was just like weird or depressed, you know? And it mm-hmm. might, it might just open up a door to explore another option, um, of what might be their situation, you know? Um, yeah. It, it might not even have occurred to them that, that, that it could be depression. It could be autism. It could be something else, schizophrenia, you know?
1: Yeah, well, that's why it's important that you talk about your situation and and hopefully if somebody sees the stuff that you're posting or listens to this, they could be like, that kind of sounds like what I've been dealing with and
3: and they have an option. and They might find out they don't have it, too. Yeah, like, exactly. And then you could rule that out, right? You can be like, okay, I don't have autism. I don't have schizophrenia, but maybe I have depression, you know, like. Because it's a process of elimination. Sometimes you can't, sometimes you don't always know what it is right away, so you're, you're eliminating. Yeah.
1: Um, going back, talking about Ben Ramers, um, so a lot of, I mean, a lot of good has happened in the last year, um, yeah. Out of, like, like you said, everybody talking about it. What are your thoughts on all the smiles content coming out of, Um, from the Ben Ramers Foundation, like uh, Nick Jensen and Aaron Harrington. Um,
3: Yeah, I love it. Um, I think it's awesome. I think those guys, first off, like Aaron and, well, first off, the Ben Ramers Foundation, I think it's, is it his sister? Uh, um, I think so. I don't want to be wrong, but I think it might be his sister and some other people. First off, super awesome and brave of them to, like, be doing this you know in the name of Ben instead of just like not saying anything or you know what I mean Mm -hmm. Um, because you know when you do this stuff you're constantly bringing up memories of someone that you lost and that could be painful you're constantly stirring up things you know Um, and for some people it might be easier to just not do something like that but after someone dies so I have a lot of respect for them for being brave and, and doing this thing, first of all. Secondly, um, like Aaron and Nick, I think those are the only two smile things so far. I believe it's uh, um, Really yeah. awesome of them to come out and talk about it. Um, you know, I even hit up the Ben Ramers Foundation people, and I was like, hey, I'm willing to talk or help or do whatever, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, let me know. I'm happy to help. Uh, See so my you guys up. Uh, and yeah, I mean, there's not much to say. I hope there's more of them, or I hope they're longer and more in depth, or you know what I mean? Like like I said, not everyone can articulate about their condition or, or their journey the same way. So some people might have less to say, or you know, might not be able to say it as clearly as others. But um, I hope they do more of them, and I hope. You know, I just hope it's more of a conversation. We've got, we've got women in skateboarding that is, is is just out there and at the forefront and here to stay. We've got the LGBTQ, uh, IA community. That's like a topic now that's like here to stay. Like I'm hoping that the next thing that becomes normal is like the adaptive skate community and, and the mental illness narrative, you know? um where it becomes as common as all these other things that have broken through that t- typically haven't been part of the norm in skateboarding, you know? Mm-hmm. Totally. I
1: I hope that I hope as well that more stuff comes out and more people talk about it. Um there was an interview today with Derek Bassett that came out that he, he had mentioned, like, a little bit of, like, anxiety or depression, but it wasn't, like, a a thing that was pressed on in the interview. But, um, Who was that with? Zared uh, Bassett. It was an interview oh, on okay. a Skateboard Story.
2: Yeah. Um, yeah. But
1: yeah, it wasn't In no way was this the theme of the interview, but it was mm-hmm. just, like, kind of mentioned casually, which was, like, interesting to see it. Like, all right, we can at least, like, even casually talk about this is is cool.
3: Um, I think with interview – I don't want to jump the gun on this, but I think with interviewing too, I think um, sometimes interviewing is hard. You don't know where you can go with somebody. You know, you don't know mm -hmm. what you're comfortable with. Like like we got on the phone, I was like, you can ask me anything, but (laughs) not everybody's like that. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's always a challenge with interviewing, but, you know – If I, going to therapy has made me such a better interviewer, you know, because not only can I recognize that people might have stuff going on psychologically
0: that I can Uh try
3: to tap into, but also if they're willing to talk about it and be open, I can really dive in with them. I don't have to like tiptoe around it to see, but, you know, Mm -hmm. being, being aware of, of you know going to therapy and all the things you learn about yourself and you can be a way better interviewer on the topic so i could i could see if you're an interviewer it's intimidating to try to go there with someone you don't know but it's also maybe hard to talk about something you don't know too much about you know if you if you you know if you get a mention of some sort of mental illness but you're not privy to all the information that I am for example through my experiences you might not be able to dive in you know I think I was I think I was interviewing Josh Kellis on Weekend Buzz or something and he mentioned therapy you know and I'd already been going for a while and I immediately like dove on it you know and I was like oh what about this and and then you know Lee, Lee was like you guys are pussies you go to therapy and (laughs) <laughs> and me and Callis both it was amazing because both Josh and I were like dude you don't even know it doesn't work like that like
5: you should try
3: it and like you got me and Josh Callis sitting there like defending therapy to Lee it's just some, a situation you wouldn't expect but yeah. I wouldn't have been able to d- dive in that way had I not gone through it myself I would have yeah. been like oh how was that or you know maybe I would have glazed over it you know <laughs> so it's it's something that you know, I think everything's like interview training, to be honest. I'm, like, obsessed with improving my interview skills. And I think therapy's been a really great tool. Yeah. Uh, you know, that,
1: that brings up something that I was also thinking about is, like, you say that you, you always felt different and had, mm-hmm. uh like, maybe you you felt that you didn't have the best communication skills, but then yet you've done all these interviews and all this journalism and you're even hosted talk shows. Like, was yeah. that awkward for you or is that you embracing the, the awkwardness? How did that all like come, come together if you were feeling that way this whole time?
3: Yeah, that's a, I get that a lot. Like people <laughs> will be like, you're not an introvert. You have a talk show. I'm yeah. Like, <laughs> that's a very like uh legitimate, question um i I can tell you now in hindsight that i obviously became a writer because i had trouble verbally communicating when i was younger Mm -hmm. right so it was always easier for me to get thoughts across on paper or in an email or online dating thank god that came along (laughs) because that was way easier (laughs) you know what i mean like social media and online dating was so much easier for me to like meet girls than like Going up to a girl in a bar is like mortifying to me, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um and and I can say confidently now that I became a writer probably in part or I excelled at writing because I could communicate way better than verbally, right? That mm-hmm. said, as far as um being the interviewer, um, I think it was a gradual progression because I obviously started in print in 2000, like writing for Transworld and Strength and Skateboarder and ESPN and then Skateboard Mag and then, you know, on to Playboy. So it started in print. But I think by the time it became like um to do this on camera um, or to host panels discussions like I often do, Um, I'm so, I put a lot of time into research to the point where I'm so, I guess, confident and prepared, uh, with what I'm doing that day that, that helps me a lot. Like I almost, I know like you see me crossing out notes and stuff on weekend buzz, but I got to the point eventually towards the end of weekend buzz where I would do like five days of research, three pages of notes, and then never even look at my notes. (laughs) Um, and I think there's just a confidence that comes with preparedness. But the other thing is um, when I'm interviewing someone and the camera's to the right, left of me and I'm not looking at it and I have the goal of just getting, creating the best story I can with this time I have with someone um, for the audience. um, I just tune that out, you know, um, but you'll look, there's times in the early days of the weekend bows where me and Erica had to, like, talk to the camera and do, like, ride channel promos or, like, giveaways, and I'm a mess. <laughs> like, I can't, I can't talk to the camera, and I would make Erica do it, and I'd just be sitting there, and I'd just say, like, one word. Like, the minute I turn to that camera and look it in the eye, I'm terrible. But when I'm interviewing, I think I'm just in my zone, and, and that's what I belong doing. Um, that's that's cool. If that makes any sense. Like it's just like <laughs> yeah. yeah. I don't know. You know what I mean? Like there's some people who can't even like walk without tripping, but they get on a skateboard and they're brilliant, you know? Or the <laughs> it's I guess everyone has their context, you know. Yeah. yeah. But, but man like, have... giving a speech or something is terrible. Like, if I have to speak in public or...
1: or. Well, you did that panel, though, with the girls,
3: uh Yeah, but that's different. Girls, yes. eh? Just like the interviews, though, that's not yeah. my thing. <laughs> like, I'm in control. I steer the ship. I'm looking at them. I'm not looking at, like, a sea of bored faces staring at me. You know, like, mm. um, it's a whole different world. I'm so excited to connect with people on that level and have that time with them. Cause, and I'm always like, what can I do in this one hour with this person that like maybe Patrick O'Dell didn't do or Chromeball incident didn't do like, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. what, what can I bring out of them that hasn't been brought out of them yet? I wasn't a diss on those other guys, but if yeah. someone was like interviewed before me, it's like, okay, all this was covered. What can I extract? That's going to be new for the audience. And to me, it's like this challenge and I, and I'm not so worried about my poor communication skills or my uh anxiety of being in front of a camera or a crowd, you know totally. it really just it really just feels like a one on one to me or one on three uh I don't really consider the audience because I'm always asking somebody what I want to know. I'm not worried about the audience right. I just figure if it's interesting to me, it'll be interesting to people out there. So I have a conversation with them and I have to just hope that the audience likes it. Right. (laughs) Yeah. As we wrap it up here, Ruben, do you
1: have um, anything you wanted to ask?
4: Yeah. I just wanted to ask, um, I mean, I know we kind of touched on this a little bit earlier as well, but just to hone in on it again, um, if there's any advice, uh, that you would have for, you know, people going through mental illness or dealing with that at the later stages in their life or any period, just if, if there's any strategies or
3: any advice you would have to share. Um, yeah, I have, oh my God, I could, I could probably <laughs> ramble forever about that. I remember, um, I was sitting at sushi one night with my best friend, Josh Friedberg, who's my boss now. He's the guy who founded 411. He used to be pro for New Deal. Um, I was sitting oh, yeah, at yeah. sushi one night, and I remember this wasn't easy because it was just atypical of how we'd communicate. But I just said to him, "I was like, man, I I think like, I think my I think I've come to terms with the fact that I have depression, you know." Mm -hmm. I just said that he's my best friend. And I wanted to be honest about, you know, even if sometimes I was moody or bitchy or something, you know, I just wanted to like confront that. I think I have a problem, you know? And, uh, he was like, Oh, you know, like, I I, I mean, his response doesn't matter, but the point was, it felt really good to just tell someone finally and to admit that. And I think if that was like the most awkward of everything, I think the first time walking into therapy was difficult too, like many years ago. But Mm -hmm. I think if you can get past that step of like sharing with somebody that you really trust, just saying it for the first time, to somebody, um, that would be really awesome because if, if you're saying it to someone who loves you, their response is going to be encouraging and, um, You know, I think that's phase one. I think being really honest with yourself, maybe that's phase zero. Like taking a good hard look at yourself and not bullshitting yourself,
2: not blaming
3: other people, not blaming the guy in the bar and being like, hey, maybe I'm the fucking problem, right? Like uh, I keep having these altercations, maybe I'm the problem. Or if I keep fighting or whatever, uh, losing boyfriends or girlfriends or friends, like maybe I'm a problem. Um, I think be real honest with yourself. Um, cause you might be wrong. You might not have anything wrong with you. You know, you might just be going through some shit or, and it'll feel good to be diagnosed and, and maybe not have anything wrong with you. Or, and it feels good. It felt good for me to be diagnosed. I think, I think being honest with yourself, finding at least one person to open up to or to go to for help and you're not alone. And then, um, you know, I think those are the critical steps. Um, you know, I could go on forever about, like I said, finding a therapist and whatever, but everyone's situation is going to be different. And like I said, because of my autism, I'm convinced that I'm not as emotionally connected to some of this stuff. So it's easier for me. Um, but I think the first step is really like admitting to yourself and like talking to someone that you really love or trust, um, and seeing how they react and hopefully they'll be honest with you and be like, man, I was waiting for you to say that. Or yeah, I've noticed that too, but I still love you. Like maybe yeah. we should, maybe we should drink less. Like let's go somewhere and not drink. It could be, this could be substance abuse. It could be anything, right? Like it mm-hmm. can be like, could be like yeah let's hang out and not drink anymore let's like sometimes it just takes that conversation you know I think that's my biggest advice and mm-hmm. anyone's yeah. welcome to uh, come into my DMs and talk to me but as a starting point I think telling someone one person I
0: yeah.
3: wouldn't make your admission on social media without talking <laughs> people you love <laughs> there's, there's yeah. some advice like <laughs> yeah. not do what I did, unless you're fucking prepared man yeah, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, I I
1: just think about like if Jen had told one person, you know, like w- how would things be different? Like that that's the biggest mm-hmm. thing is like talking about it. And we it's, it's so easy. We're always like everybody's like, oh, you know, check in. This. We do it too. Check in with your friends. Talk. You know, tell your friends you love them. Like all this stuff. And we could talk about it all the time, but. If if it if it really is if something really is there and there's a problem or or something deeper, like it, mm-hmm. it's not always easy. But if you could just yeah. like, talk to one person, like it could change everything. So yeah,
3: yeah. And here's the other thing about what we're talking about: take all of Ben's inner circle. You know the Enjoy guys, the Converse guys, whoever, the Volcom guys. If if any of them we're more, you know, aware or, I'm not saying they're not, all I'm saying is if people are educated or have gone through therapy, they might be able to identify things. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and maybe start that discussion before Ben does, or if Ben is scared to, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, So, so with that awareness comes like, Hey man, like, are you okay? You've been like, you know, know maybe it was Nick Jensen. Like, he was talking about being on tours and feeling really crazy. And Aaron Harrington was talking about drinking a lot, like having someone who recognizes that and can come to you and be like, Hey, I think there's a problem, you know, um, that's mm-hmm. important too. And that's why this awareness is important because, you know, maybe, maybe people didn't know what was going on with Ben. Maybe he could, maybe he hit it. Maybe people just thought, I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, maybe people aren't equipped with the awareness to know that he's showing signs of depression or whatever he had, or or has the propensity to commit suicide. You know. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. you need a good support system for when you're gonna talk. But it, it's also good to have people around you who might notice things. You know. Yeah. And again, I don't know what happened in Ben's situation, but yeah, right. you know, sometimes people might end their life no matter who's around them or what people notice. There's no stopping it sometimes, but I I think it's a little it's weird to assume that we could always stop it because if someone's like dead set on ending their life, unfortunately they might just do it no matter what, but I do believe a lot of it is preventable.
1: Yeah, and it's not always acting, like it's not always on that person, but a lot of it is reacting too, like if somebody does tell you that Like, if you're the person receiving that information, you should know how to handle it and what to do with it and not just be like, oh, oh, you're depressed? Uh, Yeah.
2: You know, I get that. It'll be better tomorrow.
1: Like, yeah. Right. Yeah. It's hard. It's hard. Not everybody's a therapist. Like, not everybody's trained for that. Like, you know, like going to therapy might help you be more aware of that, but, like, it's not always super obvious.
3: Yeah. yeah. That's why I kind of can't stand all these Instagram, like motivational people, and like <laughs> the Gary V type people and like all these, like whatever, like motivational fitness models and everything. Like all their shit is just like, Oh, you just got to hustle and you'll be rich or just don't be bad right. or just wait, wake up and be <laughs> gr- have gratitude. And it's like, it doesn't work like that. First off, it doesn't matter how hard I hustle. I don't have the same, like, journey that Gary Vee had to become a fucking millionaire. So, Are yeah. you talking
1: about Mikey Taylor?
3: No, I'm talking about <laughs> Gary V. <Vee. laughs> oh, <okay>. Like, 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 <laughs> even in Mikey's case, like, a rich person giving someone else advice, like, I guess it could be helpful, but also you're never coming into it the way they did. Like Mikey had money from skateboarding and was able to invest. Right. Mm-hmm. So and Gary V had money from his wine business and he's able to grow with that money. Right. So Gary V telling me like, just fucking hustle and don't be fucking lazy. It doesn't work that way. Cause you're a millionaire making more money off your millions and I'm not. So my journey is going to be different than yours. So, Your little, like, Instagram bite-sized fucking ass (laughs) on the butt aren't gonna work for me. (laughs) Well, it's just like
4: compartmentalized capitalist beliefs and it's not, you can't always, you know, people, they're not, it's not a good way to, to inspire people or to get people motivated. It just doesn't, it doesn't work like that.
3: (laughs) Yeah, and I think it's actually probably more frustrating like I'd be really interested to like see how many of Gary Vee's fucking followers actually became millionaires.
5: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because like yeah.
3: they probably all think it's so easy because he makes it look so simple. Like he's like just just work harder. Fuck, don't sleep, you know. Like and it's like and even with the 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 like motivational gratitude fucking. It's like, dude, don't you're just telling me to just like not be sad. okay how about like some dude like how about like some dudes in a wheelchair and you're like hey just walk like yeah it doesn't work that way and like I hate all these people on there who just think they can they're not trained they're not experts and they're just telling you bullshit because that's their fake social media narrative and you have all these people following them uh, who might actually believe it and get frustrated that it's not happening for them as easy you know Mm-hmm. Like imagine Shane O'Neill Just being like just switch 360 flip double flip it's no Problem and yeah. you're like Beating your head on the ground for fucking four Years trying to learn it and he's yeah. Like just do it <laughs> Like that's yeah. What it's like you know yeah yeah. And I think it's really lame That there's all those people out there just like Trying to tell people They can be rich or happy or whatever <laughs> Uh, like with all these, like w- without any context to the journey, you know, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, try to educate yourself a little more, I guess, <laughs> yeah. I don't know, whatever we can do. Uh, <laughs> Reuben, did you have uh, any anything else? Yeah,
4: well, I mean, again, mm-hmm. we just want to thank you for, you know, coming onto the call and and speaking about this with us, we appreciate it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, um, yeah, just as we were saying earlier, I mean, a lot of, a lot of the topics that you discussed and, you know, losing your father at a young age, I can definitely attest to that as well. I, you know, I lost my dad when I was 22 and when I was moving back to San Diego from the Bay area. And yeah, I mean, I, that was, Um, just hearing you speak on that, I had to go through a lot of similar things, you know, like I feel Mm -hmm. like out of my immediate friend group, I was the first to kind of lose a parent at that age and had to go Mm -hmm. through a lot of transitions. You know, I I moved back and I was having pretty bad anxiety for two years. And, and then that kind of enlightened, uh, in me that I had been, that I really, I'd been struggling with with anxiety for a lot longer than I realized. I mean, like, I think I had, panic attacks a lot skating at skate parks with my friends and I, and I didn't know what they were at the time. I didn't, I didn't understand what was happening. Um, and it wasn't until I started going to therapy that I understood how it had been affecting me. And, um, and yeah, it, it started to make more sense and it felt good to have a space where I could talk about these issues and, you know, kind of find some comfort and and kind of connecting those dots retroactively and understanding, um how it led to that point and yeah I just I, I I can't say it enough I think it's so important to check them with your friends have people that you feel comfortable speaking with about these things because everybody deals with it differently and it's great to you know know that if you are having problems that there's resources out there and there's ways to seek help and I can't say it enough I mean everybody's going to experience it differently but there's help out there if you need it and you can hit us up anytime, you know, and yeah, that's, it's just important to talk about.
3: Yeah. I think it's interesting what you said um, that we didn't mention is that your dad passing away wasn't what caused your anxiety. It was a reveal that you'd been dealing with anxiety. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And, and I had those experiences too. Like, you know, I always thought that my big trauma was moving when I was a kid and after going to therapy and learning that like I had, there was stuff going on way before that, you know what I mean? And so I had to reevaluate the whole way I thought about my past and yeah, certain things. um, I think we all have our issues maybe well before the thing that we think caused our issues happened (laughs) Mm -hmm. and it's interesting to get to the bottom of that.
1: Yeah, totally. absolutely. Yeah, and thank you both for sharing mm-hmm. this with the world, and, and I think it's gonna help help a lot of people. Hopefully, not that yeah, not that a ton of people listen to our podcast, but <laughs> hopefully they will. maybe when, they will
3: one day. Yeah, and they'll come <laughs> back and listen to these. Yeah, but that's the beauty it's of the it, right? I know yeah. no, that was kinda, it's out there. That was the yeah, idea so. behind it. Hopefully I didn't say anything offensive To anyone or unpolitically <laughs> correct um, I'm here to Fair help enough. too You know, anybody can mm-hmm. Slide into my DMs and talk to me I think people know that already But, mm-hmm. you know Anyone yeah, can, we, can holler at me
2: And I mean, where, uh, where
3: can Sorry, Ruben, go
4: ahead <laughs> Oh, no, I was just going to say, yeah I mean, appreciate you being Open and honest and being candid in your responses, so it's, good i'm glad like we said it's it's great that we're able to have a real conversation and you know through all the
1: bullshit yeah
3: i can't believe
1: we're strangers too and we just had like this fucking great conversation
3: (laughs) yeah and it and that's the beauty of you were asking me about interviewing earlier and how i'm not like how it can work for me being like socially awkward and introverted and and this is exactly how it works for me. I don't know how it does, but it's really cool, you know. Um, uh-huh. You can have these deep conversations with strangers because you're from the same community and you've agreed to have a discussion and and you're mature enough to do it, you know. Mm-hmm. And plus, I'm talking to one in a million Ruben, dude. <laughs> <laughs> <It's> like... <laughs> That's like when he when he DM'd me or whoever wrote me and told me that, I was like, No way. Yeah.
1: You wanna interview him about it? Nobody's asked him about it. He's... I got it. Well I started
3: talking about Forrest. I said we have something yeah. in common. We we both had a lot of awkward time on camera with Forrest Edwards.
1: <laughs> um. yeah, which is very true. <laughs> um you you said um you had mentioned that anybody can um, reach out to you if they need to. Where can people find you? I don't think we mentioned your contact.
3: Uh, the the best way to hit me up is Instagram, and that's just at Robert Brink, um, my full name. <laughs> Word. So, Are yeah. you? Do you
1: know, there's no like website or something. That's just the best best thing.
3: No, I, the Instagram has. Um, I check my DMs. It's not like I'm so popular that my shit's, you know, I don't <laughs> see messages. Um, and there's also on my Instagram, you can email me through there as well. So there's like an email option at the top. So. Cool. Both, you... both of those things work, and I get I get them and I check them. So Awesome.
1: So definitely if you need any advice, reach out to Rob, yep. do that. I, I want to quickly ask, like, you got a lot going on with their candles company and uh, the Olympic stuff I'm sure. Are you still working on a book? I had heard you mention that in an interview a few years back.
3: Um, yeah, God. That's one of those things like you know, it's weird sometimes being interviewed because people are like, What are you up to? And then I'm like, <laughs> Oh, I think I'm writing a book and then like you talk about so many projects that don't happen and then later yeah. on people Like, I've mentioned so many projects that haven't happened. Um, So what I'll say is I started what I think is my book. Um, I had started writing it. I went back to grad school for a second master's degree in 2016. Um, My first is in writing. But I wanted to go back and just, quite frankly, I was using grad school as an excuse to be more disciplined and just (laughs) donate time devote time every week to writing, and being around writers and having mentors and just being like hyped up to write, you know, yeah. and uh, it's an expensive way to be disciplined, but I enjoyed grad school so much the first time that I, I didn't mind going back. Um, so I've written probably basically the whole time I was back in grad, which was like two years. And I just realized it wasn't, I don't need to be there anymore. Um, Everyone there is younger and on a different level than me, understandably. So it just wasn't – it didn't inspire me like I thought it would. But, I mean, I've probably got like four or five chapters of what would be my book. Um, I was using all that grad school time to write. Um, And it's the book that everyone who knows me tells me I should write, and it's about my time in the bagel bakery. (laughs) (laughs) I and mean, I, um, I don't need to be secretive about it because there's so much in it that nobody knows. But I spent nine years in a bagel bakery, and that place was like my family when I, I didn't really have, I didn't really feel connected to my own family. It's kind of like how skateboarding becomes everybody's, yeah. you know, come becomes our surrogate families, you know. Yeah. And the the bakery was that to me. The bakery taught me everything about life and work and um. I spent nine years in that place, and um, it was a very scandalous place to work. <laughs> um, the shit that went on there is insane. Like, I saw everybody was, like, a junkie. Uh, there there's people would fucking die, and I'd have to cover their shifts. Like, <laughs> um, um, it was a kosher bakery, so it was, like, you just wouldn't expect in this like Jewish kosher bakery bakery that like all this debauchery was going on. Like it-, it was insane. Like I've seen people cut off fingers, like uh, just the stories are endless. And whenever I tell people these stories, they're like, you need to write a book about this thing. And yeah. I'm like, I am.
5: <laughs> So,
3: you know, no big secret there, but, um, yeah, if I write a book, I think that's what it'll be about. I have some of it written already. Um, Hell yeah. Again, it's like, I put my foot in my mouth sometimes. It's like a Crying Wolf or whatever. You're like, I'm working on a book. I'm I'm writing a film. I'm doing this. I'm doing that. I'm actually writing a film right now. I'm working on a film project, oh. which
1: I can't, can't dream anything too?
3: about. Yeah. What's that?
1: Street Dreams 2?
3: <laughs> yeah, No. <laughs> um, <laughs> by Rob Briggs. Yeah. No, no. <laughs> Hopefully it's better than that, but um, the project with I can't say too much, but I helped um, Ty Evans out at the very end of We Are Blood. I, like, helped rewrite the script a little bit, and then I helped him out with Flatter a little bit, and um, I'm helping him on... Well, I'm actually very involved in something new, so... Ooh. Um, that's exciting to me, like, and obviously book is like the last thing on my list though. like when my plate's like finally cleared I'll just sit down and do the book But I will, I promise to do a book Before I die <laughs> Yeah Oh yeah, can't wait to uh,
1: check out Both of those, sounds rad Yeah well,
4: Excited uh, to see it
3: in due time Yeah thank man, you. thanks for uh, Wanting to talk
1: it's Yeah, cool Thanks for talking to us about something so important And taking all this
0: time Giving us your Friday night, man. Really appreciate it. And that's a wrap on this episode of Quarantine Call with Shieldless Mag. Thanks for tuning in. And if you enjoyed the episode, share it on Instagram and tag us at Shieldless Mag. Tell your friends. Make sure to follow Rob at Robert Brink as well as his company, The Hundredth Acre you enjoy the beat that's playing right now it's by our friend beats by dojo and you can find a link to his music in the description our theme song was made by Connor Getzlaff. and you can find more episodes of the podcast on itunes google podcasts and spotify we hope you're all staying safe and staying positive out there make sure to check in with yourself and your friends and make sure everybody's okay especially in these stressful times you next time. Bye.